You are listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. You're not present at the show. Jesus is the permanent Messiah in Judaism with Roy Shulman. Hi, this is Roy Shulman, and welcome again to Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism, the show on Radio Maria that celebrates the Jewish roots of the Catholic Church, or seen the other way around, that celebrates the fulfillment, the full realization of all of the promise of Judaism in the Catholic Church and her sacraments. Well, it's been a, a few months probably since I had a Jewish a fellow Jewish entrant into the Catholic Church on the show to tell his or her witness testimony. It's one of my favorite things to do, but um, it's not always so easy to find them and to find them who volunteer to come on the radio. But thank goodness, as such a Jewish Catholic entrant into the Catholic Church, I know the common expression is Jewish convert, but all of us who are Jewish entrants in the Catholic Church can't really think of it as a conversion because we didn't change the religion. The religion sort of changed out from under us when the Jewish Messiah came, who was Jesus, and he transformed uh, Judaism into the Catholic Church and her sacraments. So as I see it, I am still a Jew. I was a Jew before I was a follower of the Jewish Messiah. Now I'm a follower of the Jewish Messiah. That should make me more Jewish, not less Jewish. And my guest has the same attitude. Um, She did not come on the show live. She came on the show, so to speak, and taped the interview with me. And in that way, when some uh, rather personal details came up that, that she felt more comfortable not having broadcast I was able to edit them out. So what I'm planning to do on today's show is play that uh, witness testimony from Helen, the guest. And um, because I'll be playing that witness testimony, I will not be taking calls until it is finished, which is, it runs about 40 minutes or so. So it'll be finished about uh, 20 minutes before the hour. So if you want to call in with comments or questions at that point, uh, I invite you to. The number here is 866-333-6279 or 866-333-MARY, M-A-R-Y. So if you want to call in at about 20 before the hour, I will be in a position to turn to the call board and take calls. But for now, I will simply play Helen's witness testimony with, as you'll see, my, um, you know, my kind of interviewing her through her witness testimony. So uh, I hope I've mastered the technology to do this. But with that, um, let's hear how a nice Jewish girl like Helen found herself very enthusiastically and gratefully into the Catholic Church. And, um, whoops, and that was, um, so apparently that's... I did not master the uh, technology adequately there. So, um, let me quickly uh, try to, um, uh, try to do it. Um, I think what I'm actually going to do, kind of while I'm, um, uh, I think, I think to, to be on the safe side, I'd better, um, uh, kind of uh, clean this up, make sure it's going to work properly. So if you will bear me f- with me for a moment, and uh, perhaps as soon as I hit this um, hit this button, I will... Uh, there. Okay, so 
Anyway, so Helen uh, had emailed me with a question. Uh, that's one of the great pleasures of my ministry is being able to help other Jews who have entered in the Catholic Church with various questions and problems that they might have. And so that's how I got to know her. And I asked her to come on the show, and she agreed to come on the show, but preferred to do it pre-recorded. And as it turned out, some personal things did come up. Anyway, with that little extra introduction while I fixed, tried to fix the technical problem, here we go. I guess the first question is how you found your way into the Catholic Church. Um, well, so uh, I uh, was received into the Church five years ago in 2014, um, and leading up to that, so my family is not religious at all, but we sort of acknowledged holidays in like a cultural way. And um, I was, at the time when I started thinking about all these things, I was in graduate school, I had just lost my job, uh, I had a lot of time to think. And I remember uh, being in the middle of studying, I, uh, I have a master's in economics, and I think I was studying measurement error, and suddenly it just occurred to me that if this is all there is, then uh, it doesn't matter what I do with my degree. It doesn't matter if my life were to be cut short. It wouldn't matter if I were, you know, if I became a great humanitarian. It didn't matter if I got a lot of money. It just occurred to me that none of that would actually matter if this is all there is. Because in 100 years, maybe my memory will live on but that would be it. And that thought was incredibly depressing, but it was a catalyst for uh, starting to explore, you know, whether there could be any truth to religion. And uh, looking back, I think that it was actually really a great grace because it was, it was like a catalyst there. It turned out to be a Catholic church down the street from where I lived at the time, and I remember, like, kind of thinking, well, what do I have to lose? I'll try going to Mass, um, and, you know, maybe I'll I'll read the Bible, you know, maybe it is all just made up, but, you know, if so, then, you know, at, at least I tried, and kind of one thing led to another. I ended up, uh, it was great, and I ended up doing RCIA one-on-one with a priest who turned out to be a professor, at the Catholic University of America, uh, and we talked about Thomas Aquinas, and, you know, we just talked about so many different things, and um, it eventually, you know, I just decided, okay, this really, I think there's there's a lot of evidence here, um, and I came to believe, and I became a part of the church in 2014, so five years ago. First of all, let me be maybe not the first to say Mazel Tov. Um, Thank you. Congratulations. Let me um, ask a couple of questions driven off of what you just said. One is, um, so you weren't, you didn't have a chip on your shoulder about Christianity and the Catholic Church uh, before you stopped into the church, so to speak? Um, so... Uh, I actually, I didn't, and I think that that was a product of how I was raised, which was that there simply weren't any 
all religion was thought of as basically just sort of, you know, like we, we have no idea where any of this comes from. Uh, but, you know, just we're going to acknowledge, like, you know, this is what, this is our part of our family culture. Now, I learned after the fact that um, uh, members of my extended family did have a bit of a chip on their shoulder. I found this out as I was planning to, uh, planning my wedding and being married by a priest, and there were some family concerns about it. But for myself, honestly, I was just, not really like I was so like divorced from the culture and so much from you know we really just didn't think about religion that much so it didn't even occur to me to have a chip on my shoulder um you basically said oh I might as well stop in this catholic church um did you have any positive associations with catholicism that predated this Sure. I, I think I did. Um, I think that at the time when I was feeling so alone and having so much time to myself, uh, one of the memories that I do have was thinking, you know, I've got, I've got my biological family and that's, you know, that's so great, but I need a bigger family. I need family here with me right now. I need sort of a universal family. And it, it popped into my mind, you know, images of like Catholic, uh, you know, being in these beautiful churches and believing actually in the sacrament of confession. I thought about that and it just, something about it just seemed so familial. And, um, and that was, so that was part of it, too, like that kind of, I thought, hey, maybe there's something there. Couldn't hurt to find out. How did you hear of the Sacrament of Confession? Uh, I'm sure it was just through the media, you know, yeah. you know how it's portrayed in movies and, and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I just, I knew it existed. Okay. And and uh, I guess the, the third question which came up when I was listening to you just now was, in, in the course of your one-on-one -on -one RCIA, or after it, you mentioned that you know the evidence seemed there seemed to be substantial amount of evidence. Uh, what was that evidence? Uh, so I'd say that it was a combination of uh, just like the historical documents proving that Jesus did exist, and the very strong evidence that. Um, you know, the way that he is portrayed as having um, performed miracles and um, having been crucified, uh, that that was a big thing for me. And then also, of course, learning about uh, the apostles and how they were all murdered. And I just thought, you know, if, um, if they were lying, they wouldn't have wanted to be murdered. They would have, they would have renounced it, and they didn't. Um, I think there's also a lot of scientific evidence with all the miracles. Um, you know, obviously there's Fatima and there's healing at Lourdes, there's Eucharistic miracles. And, um, and then also just thinking about like Thomas Aquinas, I remember spending a lot of time, a lot of time on, um, on his ways of proving God's existence. And I think that eventually I just sort of, decided, and again, this was, you know, from studying economics and being in school at the time, 
I thought, okay, this is like a joint significance test where, you know, you can say with, you know, 99.99, et cetera, um, that, uh, that you probably can't reject this hypothesis. And so I thought, okay, well, I'll just go with the 99.99 uh, side of things. And then, of course, later on, as I started to read more and learn more, uh, the church really touched my heart. Um, but initially, that was sort of, that was how I started off. Did you feel any um, warm and gushy feeling from being in a Catholic church, being in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament, being at Mass? Did you have a, a like a sensory experience of peace or anything? Um, I did. It came a little bit later on. Um, I think that actually really um, once uh, once I was at the Easter Vigil and I received the sacraments for the first time, um, just kind of like realizing what that was, it was just like this hurricane of love, um, realizing, you know, like this is God you know, made man, made food for my sake. And um, that was just, yeah, it was really incredible to like, to realize that and really feel it for the first time. And then of course, like with baptism, it, then, you know, realizing what, what was going on. And I, I think I honestly at that time felt a great sense of relief. When you first received communion, when you first entered the church, did you go through a kind of uh, honeymoon, you know, starry-eyed romantic phase with Jesus? Definitely. Um, I was reading a lot. I um, I remember just I was so excited to go to mass, and I I would try to go to mass every day, and um, and it was just really exciting to be able to receive communion. Um, and yeah, just so it was like, here's, here's this thing that I've never had access to before, but now I do. And just knowing what it is, like it was really, I, I don't know, it's been five years and I might still be in that phase. Um, it's just the church is such a great gift and it's, I mean, I, I don't even know how to put it into words, but it's just, it's the teachings are so beautiful and they make so much sense. And it's like there's just it's it's like trying to fit together a puzzle, but not having all the pieces or having some of the once you put the puzzle together and it just describes the world and it describes history so much. And it's just, it's really, really beautiful. Amen. Did you did you have like a like a. I don't know how to put it, you know, like waves of feeling Jesus' love or anything when you receive communion. Did it have any any kind of emotional effect of receiving communion? Yes, I would say um, definitely. And um, that still continues now where, you know, I go up and I receive and um, it's just, it's in that moment, that's when, you know, we are really, it's just a really intimate and really vulnerable moment with Christ. And it's something that just that's, I'd say when I can feel 
his love the most, maybe that in confession. Um, and there's always just, especially this sense of peace that comes over me whenever I receive communion. I always feel just like incredibly peaceful, no matter how distracted or stressed out or whatever I may have been before. Um, and, and what about your experience of the sacrament of confession? Um, that's it. Uh, whenever I go to confession, I just feel very aware that in that moment, I'm kneeling at the foot of the cross and telling our God everything that I have done to put him up there. And in that moment, he is forgiving me for it with his blood pouring over me, you know, as I am crucifying him. And he forgives me and you know that's just so beyond comprehension it's it's really amazing do you feel better afterwards do you feel i mean oh, yeah. do you, do you feel a relief afterwards do you feel cleansed very, afterwards very Any much so yes definitely definitely a great sense of relief and um and a sense of peace um differently so from after receiving the eucharist but it's it's there nonetheless to, you know, be told that you're forgiven, to really hear it, to hear those words and to know what's going on. It's, I don't know how anyone wouldn't feel a sense of peace or a sense of relief afterwards. How frequently mm -hmm. do you go to confession? I try to go to confession about, um, about once a week. Sometimes it'll end up being maybe, uh, every two weeks or every three weeks, but my aim is to go once a week. Um, I think that there's real value in going to confession frequently. Um, I mean, you know, we're, we're all committing sins every day and there's, you know, there's value in, you know, trying to do better. I, I just find that, um, you know, I'm much more aware of my sins when I go to confession frequently. Um, and I can, you know, I can really start thinking about them more and how to, how to try to do better next time. Um, and then, of course, there's the spiritual benefits as well, you know, um, confessing venial sins. You know, even just venial sins is, is still really important on a spiritual level. I find that um, the more I go to confession, the finer my conscience becomes about being aware of my sins, especially the smaller sins. Definitely. Like, I think that there's some things um, that it's, it could be really easy to dismiss or brush off. You know, it could be really easy to say like, well, you know, that, that was a justified white lie or, you know, oh, I, you know, whatever it may be. And then going to confession, you realize that, you know, every little sin, no matter what, still has an effect. But anyway, this is pure gold, by the way. This is just wonderful. Well, I feel totally superfluous. My only job is to keep you talking. But anyway. Um, <laughs> Thank you. You had, I mean, you experienced life before 
you knew God before, or at least you before, you know, you were so consciously aware of God. You experienced life without a personal relationship with Jesus. You've experienced life without the sacraments. And now you're experiencing it with all of that. So can you compare before and after? I would say that before was very, maybe like, almost like gray and kind of two-dimensional. And there were just a lot of questions that I didn't really want to even think about. You know, it was like, I'm not going to go there. I'm going to really focus on like, you know, my five-year plan, or I'm going to, you know, think about like, how to be a good person, but always asking like, okay, well, why would I want to be a good person or things like that? Questions like that, frankly, were scary um, because I didn't have an answer. And, you know, again, I'm studying measurement error and suddenly realizing, okay, why do any of this stuff? And when there's not a reason for that, when there's not an answer, that's kind of terrifying. Um, It's also kind of boring um, but, you know, afterwards, um, first of all, there are answers to those things. Okay. Why do this? Why not do that? Um, but then I would also say that like a big thing, a big difference for me has been finding value in suffering. Um, because previously suffering was something to be avoided. And so anything, you know, anything that causes suffering or, you know, it was just something that was like, oh no, how do I get out of this? And now it just, it has a lot of meaning. Um, Okay. You know, I can offer this up, you know, I'm sure that like, or keeping in mind even that, um, that God has a plan for every one of us and that includes our suffering and that, you know, I'd like to hope that, you know, should I get to heaven, that I can look back and see those moments that felt really difficult, the most difficult moments in my life. And I'm hoping that I'll look back and realize, okay, those actually, they felt bad at the time, but those were actually really, those were good moments in my life. You know, that was when God was doing something. And, you know, it's there's just, I feel like I'm rambling a lot, but there's just a lot of beauty there. You're not rambling at all. Do you know that St. Padre Pio said, uh, if if we knew the true value of suffering, we would never pray for anything else? I, I've heard that. Um, I've, I've heard that quote before, and it's something that, you know, I, I try to keep in mind a lot. And um, I, I just, this might be slightly off the topic, but it just came to mind also, which is that... Um, uh, it can also, I find that, like, it can be a good way to witness to others. Um, so I'm, there's a, right now where I live and with my station in life, there's not a lot of Catholics um, around. And so when everyone else is, like, grumbling about the traffic or, you know, concerned about something or they're having a tough day or, you know, if they see me having what should be a difficult day, then, um, you know, if I can, if I can kind of be cheerful about it and, you know, I, 
I uh, I try to kind of do like stepping stones. You know, I don't want to be like, okay, well, you know, going to hit you over the head with the importance of suffering. But if I can just be cheerful about it instead, you know, oh, I got some bad news, but, you know, that, that's okay for these reasons, then I just find that that's a really good, like, way to witness to other people also. It's one of the, I think it's one of the most central means of evangelizing is just letting other people see how suffering means something very different to you and, or at least that you have a peace that coexists with suffering. And all of these things, even if they don't think about them consciously, like plants a seed, there's something there. But you know Edith Stein, of course, right? Right? You know her story, Edith Stein. Oh, yes. You know that the key in her conversion was when she visited her friend who had just lost her much-beloved young husband in World War I, and he, he died in the war, and Edith Stein visited her friend, and her friend had an inner peace which Edith Stein couldn't understand. And she said to herself, this is when I first saw the light of the cross, and I knew there is a mystery here that someday I'm going to have to penetrate yeah, that's um, that's actually something. So I I love Edith Stein. She just has such a I I love her story. Um, like she's she's so brilliant, and so I try to keep in mind like okay, you know what led to her conversion, and I mean you know again, should I make it into heaven? I something I think about sometimes is that my goal is to try to be that friend to everyone around me um and i tell myself you know like okay who knows me i'm guessing i'm not going to know in this life but you know maybe today i like let someone in in traffic or you know i i reached out to someone and you know maybe that little set off a chain of events um that's at least something i try to tell myself or remind myself of it mm -hmm. kind of um, always grates on me a little bit when Catholics think they shouldn't evangelize because it's triumphalistic, it's oppressive to the other person, it makes the other person feel bad, when it seems to me that if one has compassion on people who don't have what we have by knowing the truth and knowing what God has in store for us and knowing what God wants and everything, you just have to feel sorry for them. I mean, compassion makes you want to evangelize. I mean, it's, it's one of the works of mercy, right, to evangelize. You know, I just feel, gosh, like, so sorry for, I mean, I love seriously religious Jews, you know, like Hasidic Jews and seriously observant oh, yeah. Jews. And it's so beautiful, and to see their love of God and to see their total devotion to God and how much they sacrifice for God, you know, it's really heart-stirringly beautiful. And at the same time, I can't help feeling sorry for them because they're getting so much less than God wants to give them. Yes. Um, I, so, um, as far as, like, feeling sorry for others, um, I agree. Um, I think that there's just, like, the... The truths of our faith are, you know, 
it's I mean I can't even like find the the words for it but like when you when I started learning about like the Eucharist and I started reading you know like I um I heard some of what Scott Hahn uh spoke about with the fourth cup and um I read Brant Petrie's uh Jesus and the Jewish Roots of the Eucharist and I just like I mean I I wish that there was some way that I could go around and just tell everyone, like, look at how much God loves us and look at how much, like, our being the chosen people, like, factors into this. Like, I I just kind of, you know, I, I wish that there was some way to to show them that, you know, there's the, with the Last Supper and how that was you know, that was a Seder, and it was also the first Catholic Mass. And, you know, just when you convert to the Catholic Church, you're not abandoning anything. You're you're fulfilling it. And um, I guess, actually, that, that made me think of another point, which was that, so when I converted, um, I just really felt that, like, it wasn't, yeah, I wasn't abandoning my faith at all. Like I, or my faith, my, uh, my heritage, um, you know, instead it was like the more I learned about the, the Catholic faith, the more like proud, I guess I felt to, um, to have this Jewish background. And then the more, the more I thought about that, the more I came to like really believe like with not with my head, but with my heart, how much all of this is true. Um, you know, like I, I just wish that I could kind of go around to all non-Catholics. I mean, particularly um, Jews and, you know, show them some of the material, like the literature and like, you know, say like, okay, you know, if any of this is true at all, then, then the Catholic faith is true. Like, look at this, like God chose us and he didn't stop choosing us. Like, look at how, you know, he used us to, you know, bring about the the first coming of Christ. And, you know, just, I guess I would probably just want to like really point out everything about the Last Supper. It's, I, I know that was kind of long and rambling. No, 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 please. I feel like I could retire and just and just send you to all the talks I'm supposed to give because it's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's exactly, exactly, exactly. Uh, Archbishop Lustiger, who was the Cardinal Archbishop of Paris, who was a Jewish convert, he said, uh, he explained to his father when he was baptized, he wasn't giving up, abandoning any of his Judaism or giving up anything at all, he was simply coming into the fullness of what he had been promised at birth. Yes. Well, um, I'm going to uh, interrupt momentarily if I I can uh, master the uh, technology here. Hi, this is Roy Shoman, and you're listening to Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism on Radio Maria. And what I'm doing in this show is playing a taped, a pre-taped interview I had very recently with another enthusiastic Jewish entrant into the Catholic Church named Helen. And so, um, again, you're listening to Radio Maria, Jesus the Promised Messiah of Judaism. 
with uh, with Roy Shoman and this uh, interview with uh, Jewish uh, recent Jewish entrant uh, five years ago, Jewish entrant in the Catholic Church, um, Helen. And we're about uh, about 10 minutes, 12 minutes from the end of the interview. So it is a live call-in program. So if anyone wishes to call in uh, in about 15 minutes, the number here is 866-333-6279. And when this uh, interview is over, then I'll have uh, 10 or 15 minutes, 10 or 12 minutes to, to take calls. So with that, let me uh, resume the the uh, the um, conversation, and I'll go back, um, uh, you know, uh, a minute or so to pick up uh, Helen talking about her entrance into entrance into the Catholic Church. I mean, earlier. Oh, yeah, I, I I read your books okay. actually. I Oops. yeah, I have to admit that I'm um, so I I really admire your work, and I'm I'm a little bit starstruck right now. I actually, you know, sometimes, like, I, I do try to find a way I'll, like, um, for example, okay, so you had, um, you wrote about about Islam, and sometimes, like, I'll use that as an excuse to, like, show your book to someone. I'll be like, look at, see here, in this book, there's a quote. This was from 2003, fairly recent history my goodness, this is a problem. And, you know, I'm always kind of like, oh, here, I'm just going to, like, leave this book out. Maybe you should leave through it a little bit. The, the whole point of calling it Salvation is from the Jews was to try to turn it around and say to Jews, if you're proud of being Jewish, you don't know the half of it. If you really want to mm -hmm. be proud of being Jewish, look, you were the chosen people. We are the chosen people. We are the one people with a special role in the salvation of all mankind from the Garden of Eden until the Second Coming. You know, we really are at the center of salvation for all mankind. So it's actually much neater to be Jewish than you have any idea. Yeah. It's like, guys, this is a really big deal. It's, yeah, it's, it's, cosmic. it's exciting. And I just, I don't know, I wish, I, I wish that, like, all Jews believed it. I not only wish that you know, Jews would understand the importance of Judaism and its central role in salvation. But I actually wish that ordinary, more ordinary Catholics would also. I mean, it just changes everything. Yeah, it it adds an element that I think a lot of people aren't very familiar with. Like, I mean, when I converted, I, you know, I was I was somewhat familiar with all of this. But um, the more I learned, and actually from from reading your book, it it just really drove home for me, like, oh, my goodness, like, this is a big deal. You know, I, I had been told before, like, before I converted, you know, sometimes I would hear people say things like, oh, you know, like, yeah, Jesus was Jewish. You know, we, we love the Jews. And, and I was like, oh, okay, well, that's nice, but there's so much more there. Um, I mean, like, you know, we really are, like, we're, like you said, we're the chosen people, and we will... You know that's that's gonna continue to be the case until like up until the second coming. So you know, it's it's worth learning about. So um, this has been really, really, really good, and um, uh, <laughs> if you have any if you have any 
babbling left in you, please do so because it's not babbling at all. It's all gold. Do you have any babbling left in you? Um, I have one other thought, actually. Um, so, um, my, uh, I don't know about you, but um, I I find a lot of meaning in um, in the extraordinary form of the mass, and you know, I, I don't want to get too political or anything, but um, I think that uh, for you know Jewish converts to the Catholic faith, there's there's a lot there um, with the old form of the Mass. Um, and um, so I actually, okay, I want to share one thing. Um, a couple of years ago, so my husband and I went to, um, uh, we have some friends who are uh, practicing Jews right now, and uh, when they got married, we went to their services on Saturday. And I remember just like really excitedly like pulling on my husband's sleeve he's not catholic and um and kind of being like look 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 this is the mass you know like not like this is the mass but like look at that see you know they're like they're they're facing the scrolls and like you know look at how they bring out the scrolls like it was almost as though like if you had a a video of the latin mass and these services, the you know the the consecration, then like they just look so similar, um, and I I got really excited about that. I was I was trying to tell some people about how exciting it was, and I, I'm not really sure how well received it was, but um, but I got really excited about it, and um, I find it really like. It's just interesting how much you can see it in, like, you know, see. I, I don't, I don't really know what I'm trying to say right now, but I guess, like, you know, in Jewish services, like you, you see more of that in the extraordinary form. I, I may, you may be painfully aware of all of this, but it's worth saying, uh, because I, I feel very strongly what you're talking about, and you have. You know, in, in, in a synagogue, it's unthinkable that the Ark of the Covenant shouldn't be in the center on the dais, which is actually an altar, or, you know, raised, like a raised platform in the dead center, right, uh, that everyone's facing. You have the Ark of the mm -hmm. Covenant exactly where the, the tabernacle would be. Over the Ark of the Covenant, you have the eternal light, which is never supposed to go out in, in the Jewish synagogue. And exactly like you have the the sanctuary light in the in the you know uh, next to the the tabernacle what's inside the ark of the covenant the word of god right the torah scroll which is the word of god which is of course as close as judaism has to the word of god but what's the eucharist in the tabernacle it's the word of god made flesh it's it's the flesh of jesus but it's the word of god if um the um when the torah scroll is read um, no one is allowed to touch the Torah scroll, um, or um, or the touching of the Torah scroll should be at an absolute minimum, and only the rabbi should be touching it, just like the Eucharist before the changes that followed Vatican II. But in the Tridentine Rite, only the consecrated hands of the priest should touch the Eucharist. If the Torah scroll is dropped on the floor, 
like um, during the procession or accidentally, everyone present must fast in reparation for the sacrilege. And when a Torah scroll gets worn out and has to be disposed of, it's buried in the ground like a human body. And if the Eucharist falls on the ground, I mean, that you have that, I forgot what it's called, the special sink in the sacristy so that um, any particles of the Eucharist that have to be disposed of go into the ground. They don't get disposed of, you know, in the garbage or in, in the uh, water lines or anything, but they go straight into the ground. There's so many, you know, so many parallels. In, in the procession of the Torah scroll around the synagogue, um, uh, the, the people in the congregation want to reverently um, kiss the Torah scroll or touch the Torah scroll, but they're not supposed to touch it. So what they do is they wrap their fingers in their prayer shawl and they touch the prayer shawl to the Torah scroll and then touch the prayer shawl to their lips. You know, the, the sense of the sacred, um, even, even the mm -hmm. honor of being called up to the bima, being called up to the um, dais in the synagogue, which is an honor, you know, it's a great honor. It's the honor the bar mitzvah boy gets. It's the honor that, you know, it's not a casual thing. It's a great honor. You know, I could go on and on and on. I'm, oh, the, 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 the service itself. You know, in the Catholic Mass, you have a first reading, which is from the epistles or from the Old Testament. So that's the Word of God. That's holy, but it's not quite on the level of the Gospels. So you have that first reading, and then you have the Gospel reading, which is, you know, another level of holiness, right? And everyone stands for it. In the synagogue, you have the Haftorah reading as the first reading, which is from the prophets. It's not of the holiness of the Torah, the Torah being the first five books of Moses. And then you have the second reading, which is the Torah reading. There's so many parallels. The whole structure, I mean, the, the, the structure of the traditional Mass and the especially the whole treatment of the Torah scroll versus the Eucharist and the Ark of the Covenant versus the Tabernacle, it is so, so, so reminiscent of each other. Yeah, it's, um, when I discovered the Latin Mass, like, I mean, you know, I, I don't want to, like, hate on the, on the Novus Ordo or anything, like, or, you know, say anything about it, but just as, as a Jewish convert, discovering the Latin Mass, I, I found a lot of meaning there, you know, because of my background. Anyway, I don't know if there's anything else you want to say. I'm not at all shy about, like, you know, here's here's what my faith has done for me. You know, here's all this meaning to this. And I even, like, it's kind of a motivation to try to be, like, a good Catholic. I mean, like, let's hope that there's other motivation, too. But, um, but like, you know, sometimes, you know, like, if there's some sort of, like, family conflict with one of our families or if there's like a difficult situation for either of us at work or you know just any kind of difficulty I'll try really hard to like be cheerful about it and um you know just like trying to I don't know there's some quote about like always preach the gospel and when necessary use words so I am trying really really hard to make sure that like all my actions you know, as much as I can, are preaching the gospel, and then also, you know, just those, those are the two things I've been doing, because it does make me really sad that, like, just 
you know, like for us as God's chosen people, you know, that the meaning and depth that that adds to the faith, not to mention just like, you know, just even just knowing that all of that is true is really adds something. And then there's this additional dimension where, you know, it's what it means for us as Jews. And, and I just, you know, like it's, I've seen so much beauty and I would really, I really want to see that too. Well, we've come to the end of um, the witness testimony interview with Helen. And um, I was just blown away by it when it happened. And I was blown away by it now, again, when I listened to it. If you heard a couple of uh, stutterings or a couple of little gaps, it's, it's where um, something came up that uh, Prudence afterwards dictated that uh, perhaps it wouldn't go out over the air. Some uh, personal details that she preferred not to have go out. Um, anyway, for that section, I did not obviously receive calls, but now the phone lines are open again. We have a few more minutes left in the show. The number here is 866-333-6279 or 866-333-MARY, M-A-R-Y. If uh, anyone wishes to call in, I will keep an eye on the message board and um, <clears throat> and re- take your calls very happily. But um, unless or until somebody does, uh, perhaps the best way to fill out the remaining minutes of the show is to read some quotes from other um, very grateful Jewish entrants into the Catholic Church. Um, so I will I uh, I will just just do that. So uh, sort of at random. Uh, so here goes. These are just short quotes. Um, Charlie Rich, who was a Hasidic Jew in New York, who died in I believe 1998, so relatively recently. He was born in 1899 in Eastern Europe and um, came to the United States. Lost his Jewish faith uh, in his early 20s and. Um, received a miraculous conversion to the Catholic Church uh, when he was about 30, I believe, and spent the rest of his life as a contemplative with the Jesuits in New York, uh, in the Jesuit community, but not as a Jesuit in New York. So here are some quotes of his. It would have been in vain to have been born had God not been good enough to extend me the grace to become a member of the Church of Rome. Is there not a craving in the heart of a Jew for Christ the Lord, as he may be had on earth in the Holy Eucharist? Taste and see the sweetness of the Lord. I have, since my baptism and First Communion, acquired a happiness which I would not exchange for anything in all the world. It has given me a peace of mind and a serenity of outlook which I did not think was possible on this earth. It would have been in vain to have been born had God not been good enough to extend me the grace to become a member of the mystical body of Christ the Church of Rome is. Without the life Christ is, there is no life at all. One can never come to an end of enumerating the blessings conferred by the grace of being a Catholic. The mercies of the Lord I will sing forever. Can the mercy of God be made more manifest than in the grace extended to us to be members of the only true Church. The Church of Rome gives us God himself when we receive Holy Communion to become more intimately united with God than the Church enables us to be by means of the Holy Sacraments. We must take leave of this life. 
How joyous, how tremendously peaceful the hours have been that I have spent as a Jewish convert in prayer before the Blessed Sacrament. Is there not a craving in the heart of a Jewish person for Christ the Lord, as he may be had on this earth by means of the Holy Eucharist? Taste and see the sweetness of the Lord. How can the Jewish people endure the lack of grace? Christianity can alone supply them. Once he has received the grace to become a Catholic, the life of a convert becomes a song he will sing for the rest of his earthly days. And those were all uh, quotes from Charlie Rich, a Hasidic Jew who entered the Catholic Church. And if I may underline this, both the content of Helen's witness testimony and the content of these uh, short quotes from Jews who have entered the Catholic Church, don't get overly distracted by the brouhaha that's going on now in the, in the media and perhaps not just in the media, but actually in the Catholic Church, the various scandals, the various controversies, and so forth. Because however true they may be, and however true the, you know, misbehavior or the the questionable statements or or whatever it is that's stirring the pot up, um, it can be disconcerting, and one can get kind of uh, caught up in the turmoil of it. But just step back and remember what the Catholic Church is all about. It's all about the sacraments. It's all about the eternal teaching of the Church. Um, you, you heard that in Helen's testimony, that the receiving the Eucharist and going to confession are, are mainstays of her life. Um, they're mainstays of our life. They're something we only have when we're in the Catholic Church. And all of these mechanisms of, that the Catholic Church provides through the teaching and especially through the sacraments are there and they enable us to have the closest possible union with God in this very short period between birth and death and enable us to have the very best eternity with God in unspeakable bliss forever and ever and ever. And that's what the Catholic Church is and that's what it's about and it's not about whatever is stirring the pot this month or this year or even this decade. Um, God set up this plan 4,000 years ago. You could say you could say he set it up at the time of the fall of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. It was his plan for the salvation of all of mankind through the incarnation of the second person of the Most Holy Trinity as a man who we know as Jesus Christ, uh, through um, the incarnation came about through the Jewish religion and through the Jewish people who he chose for that role. The purpose of that incarnation being to spread the infinite grace that Jesus brought to all of mankind through Christianity and more specifically through the Catholic Church and her sacraments. So that is what this is all about. So um, with that little exhortation, let's keep our eyes on the ball. Sometimes uh, looking at the church through the eyes of these Jewish converts helps focus in on what's really important. So with that, I'll leave you for today. You've been listening to Jesus the Promised Messiah of Judaism on Radio Maria with your host, Roy Shoman. That's me. Uh, bye for now.